All right, thank you, Kyle. And thank you for uh, having me uh, this morning, Pastor Paul. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, welcome back. I'm glad you had a great sabbatical. Uh, I am really looking forward to giving you an update on what's happening with Haiti, and in particular, uh, Haiti Teen Challenge, because there's some stuff culturally that's happening that's really tough. It'd be a tough place to live in Haiti, but God is moving. The church is exponentially growing, and I think there's some things that we talk about from culture to kingdom applications for us as a North American church. A little bit uh, about me. Uh, oh, that's uh, Port-au-Prince, by the way. We'll get to that. A little bit about me. Uh, I'm George. My, part of my family's here. My wife of 20 years, Terry's here. Joseph, did you want to say anything, son? Anything, son? All right. No, he doesn't want to say anything. And then Georgia, we have a Georgia, but she's not here. She's on retreat. And then my dad there, uh, he's George Kenworthy. Um, yes, we have the same name. Uh, since you're here now, I have to tell the story. I am the 13th uh, George Kenworthy. Um, there's a fine line between uh, tradition and just being stupid, right? So, uh, my, hence my uh, daughter's name is Georgia with a J. She inherited Joseph. If you were if you were firstborn, what would your name be? George. Yeah, that's right. The 14th. So I do work for uh, the best, in my opinion, nonprofit in the world, Haiti Teen Challenge. I was a pastor before. And uh, when I met uh, Julio Bolsi, uh, his name is spelled J-U-L-I-O. It's not Julio. We're French, okay? It's Julio. When I met him and our chair, Vicki Jeffers, they came into our church, and they started talking about what was happening. It's just evident. Part of your job as a pastor is to vet outside nonprofits. You can see real measurables. You can see real outcomes. The excellence of Haiti Teen Challenge I recognized from the beginning. So they asked me to join the board. I joined the board, and then this position came up at CDO uh, for this, um, and it paralleled a lot with what I did in a former life in Outer Mongolia. I lived in Outer Mongolia for 10 years, planted a church uh, with my family, school, worked ourselves out of a job. Yes, uh, Outer Mongolia, you know any place, anything about that? Minus 40 degrees, winter, no running water, a cabin. So, yes, we did all our business outside. Be careful what you pray for, right? So... Don't give everything to God. He might literally send you it out of Mongolia. That's my joke. Anyway, a lot of the way I did there was release what was started as a Western uh, nonprofit, a Western paradigm, and release that to completely Mongolian governance. We're doing the same thing at Haiti Teen Challenge. We are Haitian-led. Uh, Tina Hoverson, our development director, is here uh, this morning. So questions after, you can go to her. She's excellent for that. But we're the only two U.S. staff. We have uh, 50 Haitian staff in-country running the show, led by our CEO, president. He's now an author. Did you know that uh, Julio is now an author? He has a book coming out in October about his life story. Check that out. We'll have bookmarks uh, back there. There's pre-order available. So great things are happening. I'm happy to give you that update. So for me, Haiti Teen Challenge and working in Haiti and working with the great people I work with, it is not a job. It's a calling and it's a gift from God because God confirms himself in the timing of things. We're talking today about from culture to kingdom. And my question for myself, make this really personal, how do I do that? How do I experience Jesus daily? And living as a Christian in North America, being privileged to see some other parts of the world, seeing the church in other parts of the world, this is a question that I ask myself. I wrestle. What does it mean by the Holy Spirit today, his voice today, directing me to wherever or whomever he wants me to serve. How do I live that? Because 
we can't help but compare, right? There are some things that are happening in our culture where we are being more secular. That is happening. We've seen that from Europe. We've seen that kind of move over where we have decided a little bit as a larger society, a little bit as a larger culture that we don't need God because we're perfectly capable of doing it on our own. From culture to kingdom. I have two conflicting cultures inside me. One that I love Jesus a lot, and I do want to see his kingdom here on earth. It is in heaven. And then when we speak in terms of human culture, what I'm alluding to, I am from the West. I have a national culture. Specifically, I'm American. Does being American, does being from the West affect how I view kingdom, affect how I interact with Jesus on a daily basis, how I live for him? Comparatively, when we look at Eastern cultures, there is a big difference between the East and West. Eastern cultures are more collectivist. We are individualistic. And there's a lot of research uh, uh, shown between the East and West, and there's other dimensions that we can look at, but I just want to focus on this one today. I'm from the West, Europe, North America. I am individualistic. I think that's true, if I'm honest with myself. I think about myself quite a bit. And that's a big general statement. When we're talking about cultures, we're talking about North American, Brazil, Europe, or Europe's not a, a country, but you know what I mean. Pick a country in Europe, Germany, even Canada, eh? So my national culture, my wife is Canadian, so that was, that was just for her. My national culture, my American culture, it tints the lenses through which I look through the world. I think one of the beautiful things about diversity and working with people across cultures is that when you meet a believer from another culture, what happens? God gets a whole lot bigger, right? There are things that I learn all the time. When we interact with cultures, when we interact with other people, our first job is to be a learner, to see how God is moving. And I am amazed all the time how he's doing that. I have another thing that I think uh, impacts how I interact, what sometimes can prevent me from really living presently in God's kingdom, walking step by step with Jesus on a daily basis, our personality plays into how we view the world too. And if every, these two things affect our worldview, affect sometimes our spirituality, how we define that. So under this big national culture of North Americans, specifically USA, America, I am an introvert. That's part of my personality, how I live. So one personality uh, test has described me as uh, this type of person has no problem being their own best friend, right? You know what that means? I don't need any of you to process. I'm perfectly comfortable with myself processing. I get my energy that way. The, I talk to myself a lot. If you hang out with me, you will catch me in silent conversations with myself, hand gestures and everything. That's who I am. Yeah. We're usually talking about you, so that was, but we said something very nice about you right then. Sometimes we're just looking at ways to cancel an event that you invited us to, yeah? <laughs> Any other introverts in the room? <laughs> but not this morning. We didn't cancel this morning. All right. So keep in mind my question, how do I live for Jesus today? How do I experience the Holy Spirit's power in my life today, okay? So back to deconstructing me a little bit. For me... I am an introvert with a dry sense of humor, which doesn't always translate. 
I have a Western perspective when I view the world. I'm American, meaning I tend to process things from a very individualistic uh, way, a manner. For me, this is a little bit of a tension, but I don't think tension is a bad thing. I think tension is what propels us forward. Asking the question, right? We are, as believers, we're called to wrestle on other people's behalf. And it's not just the easy stuff, it's the hard stuff. It's the, it's the stuff that moves us forward. So asking a question is not a bad thing. Sometimes I think in North America, we like to give pat theological answers, particularly to people who are in pain. We like to just say, hey, you know what? This will fix God. It's all, that doesn't work. And yes, it's all true. Yes, God is in control. Yes, he's king. All of that. And yes, he has a beautiful plan for your life. But when we do that, sometimes with someone in real life, it minimizes what they're going through right now. Compare a little bit, a different worldview. Our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters, Judaism. In contrast, in Western theology, we're taught to systematically, right? We have the scientific method where our cultures come up. We're taught to get to the answers. In Judaism, they're encouraged to question. They're encouraged to question scriptures, the Bible, their teachers, even God. Do you remember these words from David and Jesus quoted him on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The question is an evidence of faith. It's okay. It's what propels us forward. If we see a gap, if we see a problem, that's okay. We're called to step into that. We're called to have a problem that we're working on together with Jesus. That's part of our walk with Jesus. So tension, not a bad thing. All right? Back to moi. That's uh, French. Remember, we're French. I got other French words. Alanaz, Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> List goes on and on. Beef. All right, anyway. How do I make me work? How do I make the complexities, the nuance, the God-gifted talents, my unique perspective, and not let those things turn into bad things, right? Because God created us uniquely. He gave us passions. One of my passions is culture. One of my passions is learning. He gave us those passions. And I think it is great. I love North America. I love being uh, from the United States. I'm proud of my country. But how do I take these things and not let them, sometimes when I take them for granted or I'm not aware of them, they become a bias in my life. They become sometimes a hindrance, a, a misinterpretation, or a prejudgment. How do I not let that happen? Well, I answered, self-awareness. A little emotional intelligence, a little cultural intelligence. I believe these things are skills that can be learned, reflection, asking myself this question, whatever process I'm in, whatever I'm working with, am I getting in the way of Jesus? Is my perspective, am I imposing my values, what I think is important, on what Jesus really is calling for me here? From culture to kingdom. What's the difference between living for the kingdom and living for the American dream? Essentially, it's perspective, I think. How you view the world, yourself, your relationships. Okay, this isn't a rhetorical question. What is the American dream? That means you can shout it out. Boom, earn money, success. Yeah. Agreed. I believe that every culture has a cultural sin. Something that is a strength 
but it has a dark side, a weakness, and we justify, you know, our greed, our wealth, stuff like that, so that it becomes something that's numb to us. It becomes a value that's not God's value. What did Jesus preach a bunch about against in the New Testament? Greed. Yeah, so we should pay, probably pay attention to that. I think that ours is we're a wealthy nation, we're individualistic, we're materialistic, self-focused. So how do I follow Jesus today if one of the tenets of our faith is that he's going to ask me to die to self today? He's going to ask me that again tomorrow. George died to self. What's important to you? What do you want? What do you want to make much of? Is it of Christ? Is it of you? Is it of your family, your kids, your work, whatever? What is the thing that you want to see praised? The difference between kingdom mindset and culture mindset is the king. What place does the king have? Is he central in our hearts, our souls, and our minds? Or is he what we want to see happen in the rest of our lives? Not compartmentalized in our work in our free time, family, church. So I think the idea of Jesus' kingdom and when he came and you look at the culture that he was in, uh, he had Judaism and the Roman culture and all the pagan gods and everything. What he came and what he still holds, day to tr- still holds true today is that his values, you've heard the upside down kingdom, his values do not match what our Western society would match. Living for self, living to make me and mine more comfortable, always moving, moving up the ladder. And it's not a great ladder because there's this grading scale. Somebody's always going to have more than you. Somebody's always going to be better than you. And we do it the other way, too. We put people down that are lower than us. So that doesn't work. But what Jesus says contradicts our Western worldview. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 1, 26, and let's do 30. So this is uh, Paul. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that you may, so that no one may boast in all right it's hard to read when you're walking around maybe i'll just put this right down and i'll just read it right from here all right how's that <laughs> all right where were we all right oh, 30 thank you it is because of him that you are in jesus christ who has become for us wisdom from god that is our righteousness our holiness and redemption therefore as it is written let him who boasts boast in the lord i think Humility is another one of the tenets of our faith. Death to self, humility being two. We look at how the gospel spread, Jesus working in the Roman culture, Judaism, things that are happening at that time, and we compare that to what's happening in the North American church today, just for a little awareness. What happened, the spread of the first century church was like wildfire. It was exponential. And you see what happens from Pentecost, and they go back to their countries, but then all the way up to 300 and Constantine, 
It's just spreading all over. Why is that? Are there a bunch of paid professionals up there telling everybody what to do? No, it's a grassroots movement. You see people interact with each other. They're telling their friends. Slaves are talking to friends. And it's transformed lives. It's real people. When you look at the book of Acts, the church history, there's stuff that's happening that is around unity, around faith. They have passion. They're in prayer together. They're just tight. They're doing life every day together. There's no separation between being a believer and the rest of their lives. That's how they define themselves. They're a believer all the time. Does that make sense? No compartmentalization. No, I come to the church on Sunday, but it doesn't really affect the rest of the way I live during the week. I'm asking myself daily questions because I think it is hard to, you look at how the Holy Spirit moved in the book of Acts, what are we lacking here in North America? Why don't we experience that kind of power now? I do think that we do. I do think that uh, we experience that kind of power. I do think another key aspect of what was happening in the first century church, there's some persecution, right? There was torture. There was people being skinned alive, lit on fire. People were dying for their faith. You know the Greek word martyr, what it means? Witness, right? They were telling their story. They were standing up for Jesus. The uh, church was built uh, through persecution because people kept talking and you could see lives transformed. It was a, it was a hideous culture that was uh, around them, a, a society that was not godly, that was anything but that. Paganism, the self, we had people declaring themselves gods. I think there's some parallels, and I am from Haiti Teen Challenge, so you'll indulge me and let me uh, use an illustration from Haiti. I think that have you been paying attention to what's happened in Haiti? Let's go culturally, big picture first this last year. There's been some awful things. There was the earthquake that uh, was devastating. The kidnappings. You read about 16 missionaries that got kidnapped on a humanitarian trip down there. The uh, uh, president, uh, Moussous, was assassinated. And the interim, there's still no president. So it's uh, still an interim uh, government uh, led by their uh, prime minister, Henry. Gasoline, benzene, diesel has gone up to 40 bucks a gallon. That's pretty high. Minnesota, right? Anybody going to complain about gas today? They have a weak power grid. So what that means is that this has affected a lot of uh, businesses around the world. Businesses can't, or not around the world, specifically importer prints in Haiti. They can't open every day. It's affected the education system. The school kids are not back in school right now because it can't be open every day. They started, they changed the whole system, and instead of going in terms and semesters, they started counting hours. Whenever you can get your hours in, whenever the power is up because we don't have gas to run the generators, because the electricity is down, that's when we'll do school, and we'll start counting it that way. You, let's transpose this on our culture right now. Would this be causing you any kind of stress? It'd be causing me a whole lot of stress. The ambiguity, the uncertainty of it, the uh, having to wait when there is gas, the long lines. There are riots right now happening uh, in Port-au-Prince. They started as protests against the government because of the gas, because of the lack of supplies, because life is hard there. It's hard the, having a two-day work week because you can't uh, open up your doors. Lots of things have shut down. That's what's happening in Haiti. 
They have a major, another Fiona. Uh, it's a tropical storm. They just can't uh, get a break. But even with all that against them, I do see what's happening in Haiti. The church, they're praying on their knees for God because they need God. And Holy Spirit, Jesus is blessing the church. We have um, just a brief history of Haiti Teen Challenge. Julio Volsi uh, became our executive director, and then we had our first cohort of graduates come through. We're, uh, if anybody doesn't know, we're from Teen Challenge, so we're the only addiction recovery program happening in Haiti right now. So uh, we had our first cohorts of uh, graduates. Uh, they're now wanting to get back into church, wanting to go into the, uh, the discipleship process, wanting all that. They go back to the churches uh, in the area, and they're more orthodox. The churches in Port Prince are more orthodox, and they, the, those church leadership rejected our graduates, rejected those first cohorts because of some of their past behaviors. You're not forgiven for those past sins. You're not forgiven because of the way that you lived. So they started a new church. It's called Rendezvous Christ Church. Julio uh, became the lead pastor of that church. Haiti Teen Challenge is 10 years in, um, uh, now 11 years in uh, Port-au-Prince. And then Rendezvous is now six years. And in that six years, started from that humble beginning, it's uh, now grown to we're reaching 5,000 weekly in person. And then we're starting a radio station, a Christian radio station, where our messages are going to go out to millions. We are, our, God has blessed this, uh, this ministry. We were one of the few ministries because we're Haitian-led and because we have solar panels, because we thought a little bit ahead. We didn't shut our doors during any of the pandemic, during any of the turbulent times. Our graduates on ground, our students uh, were helping uh, with the relief efforts in, um, in the earthquake. So God has been moving through this and the church has been growing. Yeah, I believe it's a Holy, Holy Spirit-led movement. I believe that's a gospel movement. Really cool stuff is happening in um, the church in Haiti. And we'd love to talk to you more about that. So would uh, Pastor Paul. What do we see? We talked about witness. I see another powerful thing happening in the first century church. And I see this happening in the Haitian church too. And here in North America. It's not all doom and gloom for us. There's, I believe, revivals right around the corner. The, we have all the perfect signs politically, economically, socially. People are standing up, and the, the church operates best, whatever you think, in the minority. So we are now an authentic voice in North America, and I have nothing but great hope for, I am anticipating a revival. Uh, maybe not tomorrow, but in the next uh, couple years. You already see the beginnings of it. From culture to kingdom, some of the, tes some of the other parallels are testimonies, are witness. Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make paths straight for him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What's one of the things that as Westerners, as people that can do it on our own, maybe one of the things that uh, we should be aware of when we're looking at our witness, our testimony, how we're living. What's, how did Jesus proclaim his ministry? Same words here. What do we see over and over and again in the book of Acts? Repent, right? In the book of Acts, they don't talk about how God loves you and how everything's okay. 
They don't talk about uh, how if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be great. They talk about repent. They talk about repent for the kingdom is here. And that is part of testimony. I think one of the things that I've learned about or reinforced or reminded or however you want to say it is that a lot of testimony, a lot of witness, there's repentance in there. It's uh, what does that look like in Haiti? I think it means simply admitting that I can't do this on my own. I want to do it your way. I need you, Jesus. I'm yours. So I'm going to read a testimony from a recent graduate. She just came out. Her name is Shanita. Her testimony is powerful. And she is just one of many, many, many. Her life was changed. So these are the words of Shanita. She says this. My childhood was marked by abandonment, abuse, and bullying. At age seven, I was raped by a family friend who threatened to kill me if I ever told anyone what happened. I hoped to find my real father, and I hoped that would fill a gap in my life. But instead, I was raped a second time. My childhood was robbed from me, and I felt like my life was over. I was depressed, hopeless, and ashamed. Yet I hid my tears behind fake smiles so no one really knew what was going on inside me. My life choices reflected the brokenness I felt. In my neighborhood, I was given many names. Useless, reject, needy, shameless, homeless, dirty, ugly, lesbian, whore. I was continually rejected by my peers, my family, and my neighbors. I couldn't face the stairs because those words defined who I was. Depression took over, and I retracted into a cocoon, not wanting to be around anyone. I neglected taking care of myself and engaged in cutting and starving myself. I felt I wasn't worth anything good. It was at this time, my lowest point, that I considered suicide. The next day, God intervened, and I received a phone call from a former student who begged me to come to HTC. On registration day, my mom stood in front of the interviewing staff and the other applicants and said this, my daughter is a wrecked car, but I know HTC is a garage, and if anyone can help repair her, it's you. God used HTC to shield me from the world I knew and to transform me into the person I am today. It wasn't long before I renewed my commitment to God and was baptized. God made it clear to me that I am full potential and I can use my knowledge, wisdom, and talents to transform and impact my family and my community. God not only repaired my mother's red card, but he changed me completely. I am brand new, restored. My name is no longer defined by society. It is no longer by my past that defines me. My name, my real name, is the one I now answer to, chosen by God, written in the palms of the hand almighty. Shanita is a beautiful daughter of God. She is on fire, and her testimony is one of many. That church is on fire. I think one of the things that gets reinforced to me is that on my knees before the cross, repenting and saying, you know what, not my way, but your way, Jesus, is the way to experience him fully. And being around new believers like that, being around someone that recognizes they were broken, they are broken without Jesus, that's energizing, that's invigorating, that is good for my soul. Jesus did life with people. I think that's what we're called to today more than anything. You look at how Jesus' life played out, he did a couple of different things. How did he lead? He came in and he did talk about the kingdom of God. And he did talk about here on heaven. He talked about God's values and those contradicted with the culture of the day. But then when people got it, 
It makes total sense. It is how we live because to live for self is death. There's joy in our life. There's joy in serving others. There's joy in being vulnerable. There's joy in being honest. And the only way that we can do that is in community. Jesus also did it with his words. He did speak truth, but he was also compassionate. You look at every interaction that he had with a seeker, with someone that was not outside the faith. Yes, there was truth, but he saw beyond their sin, and he saw them with compassionate eyes. We're called to do that as well. We're called, I said it before, to wrestle on other people's behalves. Miracles, yes, there are a lot of miracles in the New Testament. Miracles today, yes, I believe there's a ton of miracles today. God is talking to us in history right now. We don't have time to go through those this morning. You've heard some of the miracles that happened in uh, Haiti. I'll let Pastor Paul do a, a series on uh, present-day miracles. How's that? Good? Followed by theodicy and the prophecy and revelation, stuff like that. I can keep going. I think that uh, apprenticeship, you looked at that. Discipleship, that was how Jesus was with, he lived life with people. Look where he spent his time. He spent more time at where? Weddings and funerals. He's going with them. He's rejoicing with them. He's celebrating with them. But he's also mourning with them. And then he gives us a great commission in Matthew 28. He tells us, now go do this. And you know what? Do what I did. You're going to my authority. And don't worry because I'm going to be with you to the ends of the age. That's what we're called to go out and make disciples. And the only way to do that, to parallel first century church, is to do life with people. You invest in people. So here's my conclusion for today. From culture to kingdom starts with me asking myself some honest questions. I try to pray regularly that this is not mine, Jesus, it's yours. I repent, try to be self-aware. Do I have a bias right now? Am I not seeing this person how Jesus sees this person? And I'm not seeing this situation how Jesus, how do I do this like Jesus would do this? Jesus, please give me boldness, but also give me humility in my response. I'm going to conclude because I think after that, there comes being grateful uh, for all the really cool ways that I personally get to participate in the kingdom of God. But that also leads to joy. And in joy, it's a really hard emotion to um, deconstruct. But I think in there, there's a, a fullness, a completeness, something very holistic about that. There's a peace there. So I want to close from Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, we get all these, uh, we're talking about faith, and then in Hebrews 12, we talk about the joy that we have in, because uh, uh, Jesus has set this up for us. So these are people of faith, right? By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she, was welcomed, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say to you? Do not, I have time to tell you about Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets, all those who conquer kingdoms, minister justice, gain was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quench the fury of flames, and escape the edge of the sword. Going down to 36, some face jeers. So these is what happened to the believers uh, before. Some face jeers, flogging, while others chained, put in prison. Some were stoned, some were sawed in half. That's Zechariah, that's Isaiah. So we have this whole witness, this whole testimony of believers, and we should take encouragement in that for whatever hardship 
that we're facing today because, yes, we're going to face obstacles, setbacks, tough days ahead. But in and all, we're going to be joyful because of this witness, because we take encouragement of what they went through. And then it goes on further and says this is because of Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin so that easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him and endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's who's king. That's who's sitting on the throne. Can I close this in a word of prayer? Father, we do give ourselves to you and we do declare you king around the world. Please uh, show us uh, who you would have us uh, serve. Show us uh, where you have us uh, go um, today and tomorrow. We love you. Answer your name.